Lord Jesus, we do come today to bring you praise. We're gathered here in this Christmas season to bring you the praise that you rightly deserve for you are the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. You're Jesus. Your name means the Lord saves and delivers and rescues. And we're so grateful that we can be together to worship you and also to open your word and come to this story that we know so well. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth that we will look at today and then apply this truth to our heart. May we find encouragement and comfort and challenge that mean that we might walk more closely uh, with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It, it's good to see you today, those in Auditorium One, those across the hall in Auditorium Two, welcome, and those that are joining us online, special welcome to you. You know, every year as the Christmas season grows closer, um, I, uh, I begin rereading the Christmas story because I, I'm asking God to show me something new, show me something fresh that we can talk about. And, uh, you know, when it comes to Christmas, you come to church expecting, you know, a Christmas message and you kind of know what the sermon is going to be about before you get here. And that makes it a little bit hard for, uh, for us preachers because you, you know the story so well and, uh, and you've heard a lot of Christmas sermons, a lot of you have, so... Again, every year in, uh, in advance of Christmas, I start rereading the Christmas story, and um, I, I start going through my old notes and looking at old sermons and listening to other guys' sermons that I respect, and, and, uh, and, and you know, it's just, you know, sometimes I just think we ought to be able just to open the Scripture, read the story, say amen, and go home. Like, it's that profound. But we're not going to do that today. Um, but uh, this year, as I was reading it, I was struck by something that I hadn't thought much about before. And uh, my friend Andy Stanley helped me see this. And uh, this is something that's true of me and it's something that's true of you. And, and it intersects this incredible, incredible uh, Christmas story. Now, here it is. Isn't it amazing how we all have this insatiable desire to make sense out of life, to make sense out of the details of life. Like, we don't want anything to be random. We want everything to make sense in a way that we can stand back and see that everything fits together into some kind of whole. And that desire, that isn't just a Christian thing or a religious thing. We, we all want life uh, to, make, to make sense. And in fact, this desire that we want everything to have meaning and purpose, that everything is going somewhere, that's so much a part of human nature, not just in the United States, but all over the world in every culture, every language, we actually have ways that we talk about this. We actually have terminology to describe it. Even though, you know, when we say these things, we don't pay much attention to them because if you paid a lot of attention and you began to de uh, dissect them, they would pretty much fall apart. But like one of the things that we like to say is that, well, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Like you said that, right? You've heard people say that. Everything happens for a reason. And I know for me, sometimes when I hear someone say that, and I don't say this out loud, but the cynic in me goes, oh, really, everything? 
Like everything happens for a reason? I'm not so sure. And, and again, you don't really want to start poking holes in these sayings because they start to fall apart. But there's, there's something in you and something in me that wants to believe that even though I don't understand how it all fits together now, everything does happen for a reason because I just don't believe in coincidences. I just don't believe in coincidence. You said that, right? You've said that before. Uh, what does that mean? I don't believe in coincidences. Well, I don't really know. I just think there's, there's some kind of cosmic force, God or karma or kismet or fate or for all you Hallmark Christmas movie lovers, a God wink. You know, I wish I had a little bell to jingle there, but, uh, but uh, I, I don't know. But, but I think s- somehow, somehow everything fits together in some way because I just don't believe in coincidence. Or, or, or sometimes we say, well, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. It just wasn't meant to be. What does that mean? Well, it means that the reason it didn't work out, it wasn't your fault, wasn't his fault, wasn't her fault, it just wasn't meant to be. Like somewhere out there, there's a mint beer that puts everything together and the mint beer didn't mean it to be. And so the reason it didn't work out for you is because it just wasn't meant to be. And again, we say these things because there's something in you and something in me that wants everything to, make, to fit together and we want everything to make sense. Oh, there's one more. Uh, you've heard this before. Well, don't worry, it'll all work out. Don't worry, it'll all work out. I mean, and the skeptic in me is like, wait, wait a minute, based on what? Like I've seen lots of things that don't seem like they worked out to me. And, and where this really comes into play is when, is when somebody hits a, a, a really big unexpected bump in life. Like we hit a bump, like there's this tragic thing that happens to us that we weren't expected and we're like, why did that happen? I mean, why did this happen to me? Why, why, why did it happen now? Or like, why did God allow this to happen? And, and we wanna know why. And when you're facing a big tragedy, when you're facing something that brings unexpected, extraordinary pain and heartache into your life, there's something in me and there's something in you that wants to figure out where do I put this in my life? What, what, what hook do I hang this on? How does it fit with my plan for my life? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, like, uh, I plan to meet somebody cool, I plan to get a promotion, I plan to get engaged, I plan to get married, I plan to have kids, I plan to be healthy, but it didn't work out like I planned. And we're like, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this not happening for me? How does this fit with my life? I don't even want it to be a part of my life. And somebody says, oh, don't worry, it'll all work out. Now, regardless of what you believe, we all find ourselves digging around in the purpose pile, going, I know it looks random, but someday, one day, maybe, hopefully, eventually, it'll all work out. It'll all make sense. And when it happens to somebody that we really care about, it's like like somehow we we just feel compelled. We want to help people put everything together, and we say all these kinds of things because it's in you and it's in me to find meaning and purpose in every single circumstance of life. Now, my daughter, uh, Christy, and her family have this beautiful golden retriever named Penelope. And, and you know, like, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's like the first service didn't do that, so you guys must be a whole lot more like uh, dog lovers. Anyway, but, uh, you know, Penelope, you know, I don't think she worries about any of this. Like, I mean, Penelope gets up in the morning, they feed her, they let her outside to do her business, 
And then she comes back in the house and she wanders around the house. She laps up some water, you know, and she finds a place to sleep. And she lies down and she goes back to sleep. And I don't think Penelope lays there going, I wonder how this nap connected to yesterday's nap or how this nap today is gonna connect to the nap tomorrow or the next day or the next day so that they all fit together in this mysterious way to make sense of my dog life. I just don't think Penelope worries about that. And I don't think any of your pets do either. But there's something in you and there's something in me and we want it all to make sense. Now, Christians have an answer for that because Christians believe that everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you believe in God or not, Christians believe that everybody is made in the image of God. And we believe that God is a purposeful God and that God is involved in history and that God sees things sequentially and God brings order out of chaos and God brings design out of things that don't seem to have any kind of design. And this thing in you and this thing in me that uh, wants life to make sense and, and wants to connect all the dots, we believe that that's a part of the image of God. It's a part of how God created humans to be, a reflection of the image of God in you. And you can't get away from it. In fact, it's the way that some of you came to faith in Christ. Because there you were, and you were living your life, doing your own thing, and you were trying to be completely autonomous, like all I need is me and my stuff kind of thing, and you were working really, really hard to just be autonomous and independent, and you weren't connected to any, necessarily any bigger purpose or any bigger plan. It was just, you know, like I'm just living and doing my thing, and, and uh, but, but then for some of you at some point, and maybe it was an all of a sudden aha, or it kind of grew on you over time, kind of like a pebble in your shoe, and there was this nagging sense that there's gotta be more. Surely there's gotta be something more. And this nagging sense of a lack of purpose, it, it began to cloud your fun, and it began to cloud your work, and cloud your lifestyle, and cloud everything you were doing. And maybe you were very successful, maybe you had a whole lot of friends, but at the end of the day, or the end of the week, there was just this emptiness because you weren't connected to anything. Now, that's part of the image of God in you, the image of God that says, there is a purpose, there is a plan, there is a design. You don't always know what it is and sometimes how it all fits together. Sometimes it fits together perfectly and at other times you're, you're not gonna know how it fits, but there's something going on. You just feel in your gut there is a bigger plan, something bigger than you, and again, that thing in you that longs to connect all the dots. That's part of the image of God in you. And it's like God is saying to us, uh, I, I am a God of purpose. I'm a God of order. I'm a God that connects things that you don't even know how they connect. And I will eventually bring all things together and I'll show you that everything really was working together for your highest good according to my good purposes. And, and, and one day, someday, uh, you'll see that things uh, do work out, things move forward. You'll see that good things, I bring good things out of bad things, and that bad things are redeemed and, and good things result. Now, all of that collides with the Christmas story because the Christmas story, in some ways, is the preeminent example of God breaking into the seeming randomness of life, the chaos of life, the meaninglessness of life. God breaks into this 
broken, fallen world and shows us there is a plan. There is a design. And history, God is moving history forward and that God is a God of history. And the Christmas story is a picture of God coming down and being involved in the affairs of humankind and doing it in such a way that it becomes absolutely unmissable that there is a God who is in control of all things and he's a God who understands, he's a God who knows we're here and there is a God that ultimately makes everything make sense. So what I wanna do is I wanna read a portion of the Christmas story and then I want us to come back to this whole idea and talk about how it connects to our lives. And first, I'm gonna read from the book of Luke. Luke chapter one is where we find the Christmas story, Luke's account of the Christmas story. And if you have a Bible, you can follow along, or if not, you can follow along on the screen because I'm gonna put all the passages on the screen today. Now, let me tell you about Luke. If you're not a Bible person or a church person, let me, let me clear something up for you. When you were in college, if if you went to college, and even if you didn't go to college, but you've watched the History Channel and the Discovery Channel, at some point, you probably heard some professor who basically just discounted the Bible, and that professor said, the Bible is just myths and legends and fables. It's literature like any other ancient literature, and their point was, there's nothing special about the Bible. It's full of errors and contradictions. It's myths and fables. It cannot be trusted. And maybe when you heard that, it kind of kicked the legs out from under your faith. Now, um, listen, the Bible is not a book. The Bible's not even a collection of books. The Bible is a collection of ancient manuscripts, and they were put together in a book so that they would be more portable and it could be easier to read. And one of those ancient manuscripts was written in the first century by a man named Luke. Dr. Luke, and Luke decided he needed to put together an orderly account of the life of Jesus so that people coming along behind that first generation of Christians would be able to understand who Jesus is, why he came, and what it looks like to trust and follow him. Now, I'm gonna read the first few verses of Luke chapter one, and then we're gonna skip down to verse 26 where the Christmas story begins. Now you see, that, and again, for those of you that are, aren't, aren't really Bible people, maybe you're, you're kind of skeptical and maybe you haven't picked up a Bible since you were a kid or maybe you never picked it up at all. See if this sounds like a fairy tale to you. Here's how Luke begins. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among, among us. Now notice he says many, not, not just Luke. You know, many have sat down and tried to put together an account of the events that happened among us. So Luke, are you saying that all these things happened in your lifetime? And, and Luke's like, yeah, 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 okay. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have handed them down to us. So Luke, are you saying that all the stuff you're about to write down, you got this from people who actually saw it happen? Right, verse three. So it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, and we really don't know who Theophilus was, but somebody that Luke knew. And what's important here is not who he was, but the purpose. Luke says that you may know with certainty the things that you have been taught. Now does that sound like once upon a time in the city of Bethlehem? I mean, does that sound like long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away? 
I mean, does that sound like leave your brain at the door and try to just use your imagination and go with it? No way. That doesn't even sound like religious talk. Here's a guy who says, I've carefully investigated what I'm writing here. I've talked to a lot of eyewitnesses, and I want to write down an accurate, orderly account so that future generations will know the truth about Jesus. Now, I bet some of you didn't know that was even in the Bible, but you should read your Bible. I'm, I'm serious. You should read your Bible. You find, you'll find some things in there that you, you didn't expect. Maybe just like this. Now, now verse 26. He looks as I've investigated all this. I've looked into it carefully. And here's what I discovered. Verse 26. In the sixth month. Now see the detail there. It's not once upon a time. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. I know that's not in the text. But Elizabeth was one uh, of Mary, the mother of Jesus' relatives. And we're going to come back to her in just a minute. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. In other words, Joseph was a descendant of Israel's great king, David. So Joseph is of royal bloodline. And then this next phrase, I don't even know how to explain this, but imagine the drama. Imagine everything that hung on this next phrase as Luke writes it down. He says, and the virgin's name was Mary. Wow. Luke had no idea what would happen in the future as a result of him telling this story right here. Because cathedrals would be built, wars would be fought, missionaries would be sent, books would be written, heretics would be burned, people would give their life in order to get this story out of the first century, people would give their lives in order to get this story translated into languages that common people could read and understand. Luke had no idea what would happen in the future, but he writes, the virgin's name is Mary. Now, we really don't know much about Mary. Mary is probably just a simple, poor teenage girl, and her life would go like this, pretty much like this. Um, her life is pretty much planned out. She's going to get married to a guy named no uh, Joseph, an arranged marriage. She would probably meet him for the first time on her wedding day, kind of like Joseph. This is Mary. You guys, uh, you don't know each other. Uh, you don't even know if you love each other or not, but you'll work all that out. But you're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You'll give your parents some grandkids. And if you live long enough, which you probably won't, you might even get to meet your own grandchildren, and then you're going to die. And nobody will ever know your name because you grew up in this dusty little backwoods town in the middle of nowhere during a time when nobody really cared what was happening in Israel, and you'll just be a nameless person who came and went and was thrown into the dustbin of history. That's Mary, a rather random life. She's going to live out a random series of events, random children who would grow up. Some of them would survive, some of them wouldn't, but there's nothing special going on with Mary. But God, in this time and place in history, God predetermined that he would break into this world to remind you and remind me that God is very much involved in our lives and what might seem random to us has meaning and purpose. And we see all of this in the Christmas story thanks to Luke, verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at the saying, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
In other words, she's wondering, are you the good witch or the bad witch? Like, I mean, I've never seen an angel before and you're telling me the Lord is with me? I mean, imagine how overwhelming this was. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Why did he say that? Because she was scared to death. Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, that's the second time he's addressed her as a favored one. And you will, and behold, you will conceive. Now, look at all, of, uh, at, look at how certain everything the angel is going to say to her. In the midst of all this chaos and randomness going on around her, notice how certain this is. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. In other words, he's going to be a great king like his ancestor David. But even greater, he will reign over the house of Israel forever. And his kingdom, there shall be no end. I'm telling you, if she would have had the presence of mind to think about it, that last line would have blown her mind. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. My, my baby boy will be king, like the king of Israel. His kingdom will never end. And, and if she had the presence of mind, I think she would have said, Angel, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but do you realize that the nation of Israel hasn't been an independent nation for over 500 years, and you're telling me this son of mine is going to have a kingdom that will never end? Nobody's going to believe that. I mean, I'm just some simple teenage nobody of a girl, and I'm just going to get married, and I'm going to have some kids, and I'm going to grow up, and, 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 and they, they will grow up, and, and, and I will die, and they will die, and no one will ever know we existed. But she wasn't so much concerned about that statement, his kingdom will have no end. She was wondering about something else, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I'm a virgin? And then according to Luke, who was writing in a language that was different from what Mary spoke, Luke chooses words that are difficult to understand. Luke chooses words that we kind of skip over because you don't want to pause too long in this part of the story because honestly, it gets a little weird. But Mary asked the question that any teenage girl would ask if she was told, you're going to have a baby while remaining a virgin. And she says, how will this be? And so very delicately, the angel says, well, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child born to you will be called holy, unique, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, again, this isn't myth or fable. I know it's pretty incredible, but Luke is writing down eyewitness testimony and I have no doubt he's writing down what Mary told him. Because Mary at this time was living with one of Jesus' disciples named John. And so uh, Mary tells Luke, what the angel said to me was, this child that will be born to me will be called holy. He will be called the Son of God. Now let me just do a quick survey. How many of you, before you came in here today, and this is for you at home, before you heard me read verse 38, how many of you have associated uh, the, the phrase, Son of God with Jesus. How many of you have put those things together before? Yeah, like almost everybody. That's exactly what the angel said would happen. And here we are 2,000 years later, and when you hear Jesus, Son of God, it doesn't surprise you. But do you understand how shocking and how even blasphemous that would have sounded to Mary? Like Mary, teenage girl, you're going to have a son, and his reputation is he's going to be 
the Son of God. And it happened, and here we are, halfway around the world, 2,000 years later, and it's not a surprise to any of us. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. It's going to be John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her who was called childless, for nothing is impossible with God. Now, I love this. Look at this. The angel knows how hard it is for Mary to comprehend all this, and so he tells her, if you want to know for certain that God is in the mind-blowing, miracle-working business, if you want to know for sure that God is breaking into the world in a new, world-changing way, then go see your cousin Elizabeth, which she does, and you'll see that she's pregnant in her old age, way past her childbearing years, and you'll see that even though all this doesn't make sense now, it will make sense later because no word of God ever fails. Now, here's what you need to know about the story right here. There were about 400 years uh, since the Jews had heard from God. And the theologians, Bible scholars call this 400 years of silence. There was 400 years uh, between the end of the Old Testament and when Jesus showed up and there was no prophet speaking, that nobody heard a word from God, 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew in your Bible. Now, there wasn't silence in the world because there were a whole lot of horrible, tragic things going on in the world. First, the Babylonian Empire rose up and everybody thought Babylon is forever, but it wasn't. And then the Persian Empire rose up and everybody thought the Persian Empire is forever, but it wasn't. And then Alexander Great came along, and it was the Greeks' time to rule, and everybody thought, well, Greece is forever. But then Alexander died, and his kingdom was split up between his four sons. And eventually Rome came along, and the whole known world became the Roman Empire. And when Mary was living, everybody thought, Rome is forever. And during all of those years, hundreds of years, the nation of Israel lived under the oppressive thumb of all these nations. Israel was a nobody nation. The Jews were a nobody ethnic group. Mary and Joseph were nobody people, and life was hard. Life for them was random. They lived at the mercy of all kinds of horrible circumstances, and for the people of God, the Jews, none of this made any sense. And this silly angel shows up and says, no, your son's gonna be king. He's gonna be the Messiah, and his kingdom will last forever and ever. God breaks into history, and he's basically saying, everything is about to change. All those kingdoms came and went by my decree, by my declaration. And yes, I know when you look at all the bad things that have happened to my people for the last several hundred years, you may not see my hand in it all, but you need to understand that life is not random. You need to know that I am the God of purpose, and everything happens according to my will. All of that was the backdrop for what the angel was telling Mary. And then the angel Gabriel left, and Mary's life went back to normal. Actually, Mary's life went back to subnormal, because after the angel went away, Gabriel never showed up to Mary again, but I bet you she sure wished that he had, because all of a sudden her life got very, very complicated. You see, Mary was a pregnant teenage girl with no explanation as to why she was pregnant. And I guarantee you that there were days, and for those of you who are Catholic, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Mary, but let's just use our imagination just for a minute, okay? 
I'm sure there were days when Mary was like, Angel, Angel, you got to come down here and explain to my mama and my Sabbath school teacher because they're looking at me funny. Like, I, I'm, and I'm not about to tell them that the Spirit of God overshadowed me, and that's what got me pregnant. I mean, they'll think I am stark raving mad. I mean, Mary's life was turned upside down. She was basically an outcast. And then she eventually meets up with Joseph, and fortunately, Joseph had a little heads up, if you know the story, about this whole thing. And he takes her as his wife, in spite of the shame and ridicule that they both received. And then, talk about bad timing, as the story continues over in chapter two, you know the story, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus decrees that everybody's gotta go home, go home, go back to their hometown and register for a census. And so Joseph comes to Mary and he says, I got bad news and I got really bad news. And uh, the bad news is you have to go with me to Bethlehem. And the really bad news is, I know you're pregnant, the really bad news is, the best way for you to get there is to ride bareback on a donkey. And now, misfavored of God, remember the angel said that twice, Mary, you're special, you're God's favorite. Think about this, misfavored of God is about to take a 120-mile donkey ride while she's pregnant, and it's gonna take them a long time to get to Bethlehem. And you know the story, it takes so long that when they get there, there's, remember this part of the story, there's no room in the in, no room in the inn. It's like, hey, angel, uh, like, you didn't tell me about this part, okay? I mean, Miss Favorite of God would like some help here. I mean, we, we need a room in the inn. I mean, you, you, at least you could have reserved us a room. Uh, like, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you, 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 I'm, I'm gonna, you told me I was gonna, gonna give birth to God's son, a king, and you said his kingdom would have no end, and I'm about to give birth to this special baby, and, and not only do, did I have to make this horrible trip, but when I, I get here, there's n n no room for me in the, in the end, and then her story continues to deteriorate. And at any point in this story, you, if you're really thinking about all the bad things that are happening to Mary, misfavored of God, all the random, complicated, confusing things that don't make any sense whatsoever, you could say, God, why are you letting this happen to her? You said she was favored. Doesn't make any sense. And then she gets a heads up that Rome's puppet king, King Herod, finds out that a new king has been born and Herod is very angry and he's jealous and he wants his name to be forever and ever. And we come to that part of the Christmas story, this is, it's, the, it's the most tragic part. And we can't stop and think about it for very long because it's so unsettling and it has the, it has the uh, ability to overpower all the nostalgia and the romance that we pack into Christmas. But early one morning as the people were waking their children up and getting ready for another day, Herod's soldiers show up at the end of town and they go door to door and they slaughter every single baby boy two years of age or, and, 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 and under, every single parent with babies, baby boys two years of age and under had their babies ripped out of their arms in a random, senseless, purposeless expression of jealous rage. I mean, how do you make sense out of that? You see, there are a lot of things in the Christmas story that we read over, we read right past, but they don't make any sense whatsoever. 
And think about this, for the rest of her life, Mary lived knowing that even though God warned her and Joseph to get out of town to save her baby, God didn't do anything to rescue those other babies from what happened in the little town of Bethlehem. Why? I mean, what was the point? What was the purpose in all that? Mary must have wondered, like, God, if you could warn me and Joseph to get out of town, why wouldn't you just send the angel Gabriel to kill Herod? Why wouldn't there be a way around this terrible tragedy? Angel said there would be a sword that would pierce her heart. She's living with this pain, favored of God, pain in her heart. And so they fled. They went 200 miles down to Egypt where they didn't know anyone. They lived in self-imposed exile, and they lived in Egypt until Herod died. And again, if you look at any of these things in the Christmas story, we're like, why, God, why? What's the purpose? How does, how does all this fit into the good news of great joy? Doesn't make any sense. And then years go by, and Mary experiences the most unimaginable pain and sorrow that any mother could experience as she stood outside a courtyard and she watched her firstborn son beat to within an inch of his life and she saw his blood and she saw his pain and his suffering and she saw her son with a crown of thorns dragged out into the street, forced to carry a part of his cross to the place of the skull to die an unimaginable death, the most agonizing, human, humiliating death possible because, you see, the Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion to make sure a criminal lived as long as he could possibly live in agonizing pain, to be an example as long as he possibly could before he would breathe his last breath. And this, mo- this, this mother watched her son die and yeah, yeah, we, we romanticize it, and yeah, yeah, we know how it all worked out, but she stood there and she watched it. Miss Highly Favored of God, Miss the Lord is with you, Miss Mother of his kingdom will have no end. And do you see that in those moments, for Mary, in those moments, it made no sense, no sense whatsoever especially in light of the angel saying that she is the favored one of God. How do you make this make sense? The cross was just another act of Roman violence. And yet, had God lost control? Absolutely not. Because this was the very epicenter of God's activity, the very moment when it looked like everything was lost, when it looked like God had lost control. This was the moment of God's greatest involvement in the world as he sent his son into the world to pay for our sins so we could be made right with God. Listen, the thing in you that wants order, that thing in you that wants purpose, that thing in you that wants everything to work out for good, that thing in you that wants everything to somehow make sense, that's part of God's image. It's a longing that he's built in to the human heart. And at Christmas, we're reminded that even when life seems random, even when it seems purposeless, even when it seems senseless, even when it seems like this is an unredeemable illness or this is an unredeemable death or this is an unredeemable situation in my marriage, even when it seems like nothing good can possibly come from whatever it is you're facing, there's no way that this could be a part of some overarching plan. Christmas reminds us 
know that God is in control. He's very much involved in all of this. Christmas reminds us that God is with us and he is working out everything according to his plans and purposes. And that thing in you and that thing in me, that part of the image of God, that thumbprint of God in you that wants everything to make sense, that thing is confirmed at Christmas as God sent his son into this fallen, broken world that's in rebellion against God to do an amazing, extraordinary thing. And that is, he will one day reverse all of these terrible things and set up his kingdom on earth. There is a sense that Christmas makes sense out of what doesn't make sense. There's a sense that Christmas makes sense out of what doesn't make sense. Now hear me, I'm not saying that Christmas explains all the bad things that happen to us to our satisfaction. I am not saying that Christmas makes all the individual bad things that happen to us fit together into some bigger picture to make our personal lives make complete sense. But I am saying that Christmas tells us that God is active and that God is working and that God is moving in all the random senseless things that happen to us. He's weaving them all together into his bigger plans and purposes for our lives. Years later, about 25 years later from when Luke was writing, the Apostle Paul will look back on all of this with 2020 hindsight. He will look back on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and he will write in one of his letters, in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, which we have just completed studying our way through. He writes in Ephesians 1.11, in him, in Jesus, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Now, now that's sort of a technical way of saying what we just talked about. In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen. We are highly favored of God in Christ. And we, our lives, are part of a predetermined plan of God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, do you know what the word everything means in Greek? It means everything. Who work, God works out everything in conformity with a purpose. There's that word, the purpose of his will. So this is what you long for. This is the order that you long for. This is the I want it all to make sense that we all long for that God works all things out in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, Mary didn't say it exactly like that. What she said was not as technical or theological. But when the angel Gabriel finished telling Mary, this is what's gonna happen, this is what God will bring to pass, and of course, she didn't know any of the details. She didn't know about the donkey ride to Bethlehem. She didn't know about giving birth in a dirty, stinky stable. She didn't know about Herod. She didn't know about the slaughter. And she didn't know about running away to Egypt, running from friends and family. She didn't know that one day that she would watch her son be crucified. And she certainly didn't know that one day he would rise from the dead. And she didn't know that 2,000 years later, we would gather in a place like this in her son's name. And sometimes once a week and sometimes more than once a week. And, 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 and she didn't know that one-third of the world's population would know his name. And when they hear her son's name, that they would think, Jesus, son of God. She didn't know any of that. But at the end of her conversation with the angel, she said, what I 
I, I, I want to say this every day when I wake up in the morning. And, and it's, it's what I want to say, and I hope you can say it. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. It didn't all make sense to her. I'm not sure that anything ever made much sense to her. But her life verse was, I'm your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. Wow. You know, the big takeaway for me in all this, and I don't know what you've been taught about faith. I don't know how, how faith has been defined for you. Maybe you grew up in a church and you were taught that faith is what moves God into action to do for you what you need God to do, what you need God to do to make everything make sense. But no, that's not biblical faith. That is not real faith. Real faith is the faith that moves us to trust God when it doesn't seem like God is moving. Real faith is the faith that moves us to trust God, to keep trusting God when it doesn't seem like God is moving. Real faith, biblical faith, is the faith that says, yeah, we met like I planned it. We got engaged just like I planned it. We got married just like I planned it. I got the job that I wanted just like I planned it. I made so much money just like I planned it. We, we had the birth of our children just like I planned it, but then life handed me a divorce or life handed me a job loss or life handed me this health issue or life handed me things I didn't plan. And my desire isn't to move God back into my plan for my life. No, my desire is to trust God in spite of the fact that life isn't moving according to my plan. Real faith is what Mary says, God, I'm your servant. May it be done to me according to your word without knowing, to be able to say that without knowing what's going to be done to her. Now here's the good news of Christ Christmas. Regardless of what life has handed you, regardless of what you're experiencing, that thing in you that wants to find purpose and meaning, that thing in you that wants to make sense of the things that make no sense, that's a good thing. That thing in you that says it can't be random, there has to be more, that's a good thing. That's a part of the image of God in you, the thumbprint of God. It's a reminder that God is active in this world. He is active in your world, and he does have a plan for your life. And as the Apostle Paul said, that everything, everything, everything is ultimately in conformity with his good purposes in and for this world and his good purposes in and for your life. So in light of all that we talked about today, here's how I want to close our time together. For some of you, some of you are here or you're watching online, you're, you're hearing this, and, and for some of you, within the last two or three or four weeks, um, something has come into your life that's really shaken you. For some of you, it might have been a job loss. For some of you, it might have been uh, all of a sudden there's like this tension in your marriage and you didn't see it coming. For some of you, you got bad news about your health or the health of a child or the health of a parent or the health of someone 
you love or you lost someone you love or it's something else. And you're looking at that thing and you're wondering, how do I make sense of this? I mean, I wasn't expecting it. I don't know where it fits. I don't want it to fit. I just want it to go away. And you might also say, to be honest, it's very difficult for me to trust God with this thing staring me in the face. It's very difficult to trust God because of all the uncertainty this brings in my marriages. Very difficult to trust God with all the uncertainty this brings into the life of my children. Uh, or the, it, it, the uncertainty it brings into my career, or the uncertainty that it brings to my future. It's really difficult for me to trust God. And I, I, I don't know what to do about it, but you would also say, I do. I do want to get to the place. I do want to be able to pray with Mary, God, I'm your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. I want to pray that, but I'm scared. I want to trust God and not lose hope just because I can't make things make sense. So here's what I'd like to do. In just a minute, if that's you, you're carrying something and you, 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 you don't know what to do with it. It's bigger than you. It's scary. You're afraid. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to just push you a little bit out of your comfort zone. But if that's you, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And I want you to hold it up and keep it up. And I guarantee you, you're not going to be alone. I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. So nobody's going to be looking around necessarily. But I guarantee you, you're not going to be alone. Lots of people are going to raise their hands. And, and just because some of the people around you aren't raising their hands, I guarantee you they could have raised their hands a month ago or six months ago or a year ago. And for some of the people around you, they will be able to raise their hand a month from now because that's just the way life works in this broken, fallen world. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and then I'm going to pray for you. And I'm asking that everyone whose hand is not raised, I'm asking that you pray with me silently. I'm asking you to agree with me in praying for those whose hands are raised. So if you're here today and you'd say, yeah, you, yeah you, you've, been, you've been talking to me. I've had something come into my life and it's shaken me. It's really shaking me, and I don't know how or where it fits. I can't make it make sense. I'm afraid, and I need God to give me the courage to continue to believe in him in spite of it. Would you bow your head? If that's you, would you just have the courage to raise your hand and put it up high right now, just all over the auditorium? I mean, all hands all over this auditorium. I'm sure they're up in auditorium too. Leave them up. This is the way that you're saying to God. This is almost like a prayer of raising your hand. God, I'm that person. I'm that person. Raise it up, hold it up, and keep it up, and let me pray. Let me pray for us. And if your hand is not raised, pray with me as I pray for those whose hands are raised. Heavenly Father, we believe that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing takes you by surprise. You are the God who controls history, and you are the God who directs our lives. And Father, I pray for every single person here whose hand is raised. I pray for every single person watching or listening with their hand raised. For all who would say, I'm afraid, I'm confused, I don't know where to go from here. 
I pray over them the peace that surpasses all human understanding. I pray that you would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that your spirit would strengthen them, strengthen their faith way down in the deepest part of who they are. I pray that you would give them the wisdom to know what to do in what they're facing and the courage to act on the wisdom you give them. And Father, for those who are here today and they're not sure where they stand with you, I pray that even in this moment, they would experience a bit of your peace and your grace in such a way that it draws their hearts to you in faith. And God, I pray for us all that we would not be afraid to hope. I pray that we would not be afraid of the future. I pray that we would hold on to our faith even when things don't make sense. Because God, we believe that just as you were with Mary in all the confusing things that happened to her against the backdrop of the angel's good news, we believe you're with us too against the same backdrop of good news that has come to us in Mary's son, Jesus, son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus, amen.